Take your Bibles and head back to Luke 22 with me this morning, please. Luke 22, as you're heading there, a huge thank you to the many hundreds of volunteers that made the 2022 Easter extravaganza an absolute blast. One of these days, we're gonna do an actual children's event outside as we plan it. Uh, in the last three years, something has happened every time. The helicopter pilot, of course, called and said he would not be able to fly with cloud cover, and then who knew we would have the blizzard of 22 blow in mid-morning. That being said, though, we had many multiplied thousands. The last estimate I heard was about 6,000 people that came through. We ran out of eggs. We had 36, 37,000 eggs we ran out to the glory of God. So my assistant, my wonderful assistant, Karen Slose, who's been here for many years, bought out all the local stores and then she went to our office and she even took my cheese crackers and my peanut butter crackers <laughs> that I have for a snack. So I have nothing to eat, but there's some little kid that opened his Easter bag yesterday and said, look, mom, cheese crackers. So <laughs> praise God for that. We're willing to give it away, man. We'll give away the kitchen sink. It was such a joy to see all of our volunteers, all of our kids, to see that uh, the gospel went forth. Special thank you to Pastor Matt and Miss Ashley for leading our children's team so well. They really did a great job. And. You know, to be a plan B, inside was plan B, it really did go extremely, extremely well. So thanks to everybody who helped and gave and came out. And uh, for you kids with cheese crackers, enjoy those, okay? They're from my office, all right. So uh, let's see, last week we were selling out the Savior, right? We said the religious leaders betrayed Jesus, well, we weren't selling out the Savior. They were selling out the Savior. But the religious leaders betrayed Jesus because they feared the people more than God. And Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus because he loved money more than the master. And we're gonna sort of stay with a similar theme this coming weekend, of course, next weekend, Saturday at five, Sunday morning, same times, nine o'clock and 10.30, but I'm gonna bring you a, a very evangelistic message. Which side are you on? I'm sure those of you that know the Easter story and know the Good Friday account of Jesus and the criminals understand the nature of that question. Which side are you on? And so that'll be next week for Easter in all three services. It's gonna be tremendous, a lot of special music, a great time. Make sure you invite friends, family, neighbors. We've got the invite cards, and I promise you we'll give them an opportunity to trust Christ. Let me say one more thing here. Last night we had the John Bruin uh, Celebration of Life service. John specifically wanted an invitation at his service, and we had a number of people here, four or five at least, that indicated that they trusted Christ for the first time. So last night, even out of death, yeah, even out of death, the Lord brings life, and so we praise God in that. Also, next hour, we've got more new life in Christ, more baptisms next hour. Uh, Miss Betsy texted me last night, and Betsy and Michael Thomas may be able to make it to worship today, so you pray even now as we're doing these things. Just a little quick prayer in your heart. God, if you're willing, would you give Michael the strength, Pastor Michael, to come and worship with us today? It would be awesome. Uh, so today, we're shifting into this, uh, this message, Mocking the Messiah mocking the Messiah. And we're going to look at the end. We started last week with the beginning of chapter 22. Today we're going to look at the end. I was going to bring these a few weeks ago. I left them home. I forgot. And then when I wrote this, I realized this is why I left them home. I needed to do it today. 
turkey season. Did y'all know it's turkey season? Praise God, it's turkey season. Last week I was feeling especially generous, so I let a few young birds walk. We call them jakes. There were five little teenage birds that walked out in front of me, just strutting their stuff, and I let them walk. Later in the season, I will blow their head off to the glory of God. I'm gonna tell you right now. So um, anyway, so those of you that, there's all sorts of calls. This is called a slate call. And um, this is one of the calls in turkey, turkey season where uh, when the reason those birds got so close to me last week is because I started making a particular type of call. And I had some decoys out in the field as well. Just listen to this. Let me get a little closer to my face. Do y'all know what that means? That means, come here, big boy. I want to play with you. It's kind of like, that's her way of saying, how you doing? And then if she's really, really like, I really mean I want you to come check me out, big guy. I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff. Like if they're, that's kind of like when Cindy first saw me, it was kind of like. You know. Of course, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. The reality is that um, obviously I'm, I'm pretending to be a friend. I'm pretending to be a young lady who's interested in the guy, but that's not true. And then if they just don't respond to that, if you really want to make the mature birds, the, the toms, the big gobblers with the long beards and the big spurs, if you really want to make the guys jealous, then you pretend to be a teenage bird. You pretend to be what we call a jake, those young birds with the little beards. And so what you do, if they won't come to anything else, and I only do this late in a hunt because this can mess you up, but basically what you do is you pretend to be a teenager, and so you do a little bit of that. And then you go, that's what a teenage boy sounds like, right? <laughs> Haven't you heard a teenage boy in your house that's seeing a girl and going, <laughs> right? And so what happens then? Well, the guy fluffs up, the older bird thinks, uh-uh, you're not getting my girl. And so where he was hung up before and he didn't want anything to do with her, as soon as you pretend to be another guy, and it's, see, the animal kingdom and the human kingdom aren't that different, are they? So you pretend that another guy is interested, then you come running in, strutting your stuff, and you get your head blown off. All right, so here's the thing. This is what people do too. We pretend to be friends. We pretend to have each other's back, but we're leading others to a path of destruction when we're not genuine. We pretend like we're all in. And yet when we get right down to it, we realize that there's an enemy among us. You see, even so, people mocked Christ when he walked the earth. And they still want to make fun of him and his followers today. Christians, in fact, are made out to be irrational, unscientific imbeciles. But when tragedy strikes, the very ones who deny the power of God and make fun of us, try to, and the ones that try to disprove the person of Christ, you know, they'll, they'll make crazy comments. This is crazy to me. People that deny Christ, people that deny the Lord will make crazy comments when tragedy strikes our nation or their, their, their own family or whatever. You know what they'll say? Oh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Well, why would you say your thoughts and prayers? Who are you praying to? 
You don't even believe in the one true and living God. Why would you say that? You're, you're mocking the Messiah. See, when you say there is no God or when you live like there's no God and then you say, oh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. That's disingenuous. I don't buy it. I don't buy that narrative. To who are they praying? What are they praying about? What an inconsistent world we live in. If you don't believe this is an inconsistent world, have you followed the craziness of the Oscars? I would not have known the Oscars were on if Will Smith hadn't slapped somebody. I truly would not have known. I could care less. But the reality that you have a bunch of wealthy elitists saying, no violence, no violence, no violence, and then to let a man assault another man in public and then let him stay in the room, any one of us, we would have been dragged out by the hair of our head. Any one of us, it's an inconsistent world. And people are constantly making fun of those of us that have standards and morals. I say enough. Let's stand for the truth. In fact, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. And I did all of that to just say to you guys, listen to me, don't be a turkey, okay? Don't be a turkey. Be the real deal. Don't be an imposter. Now, it says here, 22, Luke 22, verse 63. Now, the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and they asked him saying, prophesy, who's the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both the chief priest and the scribes came together and led him into their council saying, if you're the Christ, the Messiah, remember that's just the Greek version of the word Messiah. If you're the chosen one of God, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you'll by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you'll by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And then they all said, are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. Uh, the words you rightly, do you notice how we've put those? Let's go back. You notice how rightly is in italics right there? It means it wasn't in the original it wasn't in the original. So it's just you say, and then he says this very strong statement, I am. You say, I am. You remember that from God introducing himself to Moses. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we've heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Then he would be handed over to Pilate and such. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an incredible scene where the God of the universe robed in flesh is being mocked beaten. They're trying to shame him and scorn him. And yet he sees right through it all. He sees through their smoke screen. And he said, you don't want the truth. You don't care about the truth. Your minds are made up. Now do what you've tried to do. And I'll willingly lay my life down. What a difference it's made. Not only for me, but for billions the world over who have hope who have joy, who have an eternal home because of what Jesus has done. We pray this in his name, amen. Okay, so we're gonna see how the power and person of the Lord are denied by the mocking of the Messiah. Watch this, number one, the power of the Messiah was mocked as Jesus was beaten. His power was mocked as our Lord was beaten. Let's look at 63 to 65 again for just a few minutes. These men who held him mocked him. These Roman soldiers, the temple guard, etc. They mocked him and beat him. They blindfolded him. They struck him on the face. Now they're making fun of the prophetic role of the Messiah. They're saying, hey, if you're really a prophet, tell us who hit you. Tell us which one of us just struck you. 
And then they did many other things and they blasphemously spoke against him. I'll unpack some of this language. This word mocked, empahizo, uh, to be subject to derision or ridicule, to attack, to challenge, to make fun of someone. They went all the way making fun of our Lord. And then it says they not only mocked him, they dero, dero in Greek, they beat him, they thrashed him to thrash, to smite, to scourge. Even the word means to flay, to lay open. If your skin has ever been cut in a certain way, it's been flayed, laid open. That's kind of all of the the meanings wrapped up about that word. It was a severe beating that he took. We know that there were whips and bone fragments and balls and all sorts of horrible things involved in this beating. Later in the morning, it's intensified by Roman soldiers who would flog or scourge him. And so these these tools that they used were meant to flay the skin. They were meant to rip it open. It's really a, a horrible graphic thing. In fact, I actually thought about piecing together some scenes from some films. But honestly, guys, if you've seen like The Passion of the Christ, if you're a believer, it's hard to watch that more than once, and I'm telling you, we, we bought out several theaters when that came out years and years ago, and then I, I thought as we went through the first viewing with, our church, with part of our church family, I thought, I don't know if I can sit through this again. It's just so gut-wrenching to see what the Lord faced. And you know, I do still believe that Jesus' worst suffering, his greatest suffering wasn't physical. I believe that the creatures he made spitting on him and shaming him had to be even more painful because every one of us knows there are things more painful than physical blows. There are words and there are actions that cut us deeper. But I want you to just look at the screens for a minute and, and listen to what the Word of God says. It says, and they spat on his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, Who's the one who struck you? So that's Matthew's version of this account. Listen to Mark's version. And then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him, saying, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. And Isaiah, the great prophet, many hundreds of years before Jesus would come, look at this. He said, I gave, speaking of the Messiah Jesus, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Just let that sink in for a minute. I didn't hide my face, the Messiah said, from shame and spitting. So here you have these temple soldiers guarding Jesus who begin to abuse him and the the soldiers ridicule his power by beating him severely. They mock his popular designation as a prophet by blindfolding him. They demand that he prophetically identify the attacker It's a big game to them. In fact, Luke summarizes it when it says they blasphemously spoke against him. Blasphemeo, literally the Greek is the same word. Blasphemeo is from the Greek language. It's where we get that word in English. It's it's irreverence towards God or things considered sacred. It could be speech or actions that denigrate or defame, revile, disrespect, or slander. Of course, in our day and time, Jesus isn't physically here for people to beat him. But I wrote it like this, the anger and spiritual blindness that surrounded Jesus' mock trials still exists today. The same type of hatred is still there. And if Jesus were physically present with us today, some are so angry with God that they'd still try to beat him. That's why all around the world they're beating his followers. 
They're persecuting his followers. Some of my dear friends in other nations, I'll not even get into the nations today, but some of my dear friends have been beaten to within an inch of their life. I was on a trip several years ago to a nation where they hate Christians and Christianity and were trying to stamp it out. And to be honest with you, we were there um, somewhat incognito, but one of the nationals on our team, right after we flew out, was taken in by the party of that area, and he was beaten senseless and told to stop. When he corresponded with us sometime later, he said, what a privilege. It's amazing to me. What a privilege to be beaten for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sounded a lot like Paul, didn't he? And it's just amazing what's going on around the world. And people are still angry at God today and his son, Jesus. But we've heard it in other forms in our own land, haven't we? We've heard abundant cursings of God and slander against his holiness and challenges to his power and questioning his justice. And we as Jesus' disciples may bear the brunt of the abuse as well, but Jesus taught us in Luke 6, watch this, blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and insult you. Look, when they reject your name as evil, they're gonna call us evil? Yeah, because of the Son of Man. It says rejoice in that day. Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how they treated their fathers, the prophets, including Christ. Look at 1 Peter. What credit is it to you if you're beaten for your own faults? In other words, if you deserve it, (laughs) what credit is it to you? Take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, it's commendable before God. For to you, for to this you were called. To this, to what? To suffering, yeah. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to to God, to him who judges righteously. So I want you to get this statement down, okay? Whether you write it down or let it penetrate your heart. Just because Jesus didn't react to the beating and the blasphemy, we should never doubt or deny his power. Just because Jesus didn't respond. In fact, let me ask you a question. Those of you that have kept up at all with this little controversy of the slap. Who was more powerful, Will Smith or Chris Rock? Who was more powerful in the moment? I would argue Chris Rock was more powerful, that he didn't just haul off and give him a knuckle sandwich. He was more restrained in the moment. Now, I don't care really what side you take, but my point is that meekness is power under control, and Jesus was always about being meek. Not that he didn't have the power, he controlled the power. Jesus could have called tens of thousands of angels. He could have whispered, stop. He could have fought, stop. But he was and always will be fully man and fully God. And I came across something as I was studying for this particular message about the Lord Jesus Christ. I took it and I modified it a little bit for us. But I just want you to strap your seatbelt on for a second. I just want you to listen to who our Messiah is. He is the first and last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. 
The world cannot understand him. The armies cannot defeat him. The schools cannot explain him. The leaders cannot ignore him. Herod could not kill him. The Pharisees could not confuse him. The New Age can't replace him, and the talk show hosts can't explain him away. He is light, love, and Lord, holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will unchanging. His mind is on me. He is my redeemer, my savior, my guide, my peace, my joy, my comfort, my Lord. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never mislead me, never forget me. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives me. When I am weak, he is strong. And when I am lost, he is the way. When I am afraid, he is my courage. And when I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he's with me. And when I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is for everyone, everywhere, in every way. He is God. He is faithful. I am his, and he is mine. So, so if you're wondering, well, why do you feel so safe and secure? Because he cried on that cross, it is finished, paid in full. What a mighty God we serve. Do y'all know that old song? The blood that Jesus shed for me. Way back on Calvary, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. Did you know that? It reaches from the highest mountain, right, down to the lowest valley. The blood of Jesus gives me strength from day to day, and it will never lose its power. You know, people denied the power of the Messiah then, and they continue to deny his power today, but I don't care what the world says about him. I don't take my marching orders from them. I don't take them from D.C. I don't take them from the Supreme Court. Lord knows they must need a biologist in these days. I take my marching orders from the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I put my two-year-old granddaughter Lucy to the test the other day. I said, what is G-Pa? She said, a boy. I said, what is G-Ma? She said, a girl. I said, what is Aunt Hannah? A girl. Aunt Holly? A girl. Uncle Bo? A boy. I've raised a biologist. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a miracle in the Lewis home. The Levesey home, sorry. The power of the Messiah was mocked as Jesus was beaten, but also, look, the person of the Messiah was mocked as Jesus was questioned. They, they tried to deny his power. Now they're trying to chip away at his very person. Oh, come on. If you're the Christ, just tell us. See, as soon as it's day, they begin to bring him in and they, they bring the council together. They've done all this illegal stuff through the night, but now that the sun is up, just tell us if you're the Messiah. Jesus said, now, I can tell you, but you're not gonna believe me. And if I ask you, basically what he's saying is, if I ask you, what are you doing with me here? Why did you bring me in? Well, you're not going to tell me because you know it's illegitimate. But let me tell you what's going to happen. After I do what I came to do, 
after I die for you, after I suffer the shame and the pain, and after they put my body in a borrowed tomb, three days later, I'm gonna break the bonds of sin and death and hell, and I'm gonna be risen again, and then I'm gonna sit at the right hand of the power of Almighty God. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Oh, I am the I am. That's what he's saying right here. That's what he's saying. That's why they say, why do we need to hear anymore? Look at what he's done. This is the third of six mock trials imposed upon Jesus the day of his arrest and crucifixion. This mock, the first mock trial is in the courtyard of the high priest Emeritus Annas, who's the father-in-law of the current high priest Caiaphas. I know you've probably heard these names. Jesus hasn't yet had a real trial at all. He hasn't been found guilty of anything. He's not even been officially accused of anything, but he's already been beaten and mocked and spit upon. Now think about that for a minute. You see, I said it like this, the, un, the hypocritical religious leaders are questioning the person of Christ, essentially denying his true identity. They don't care about the truth. When this is over, Jesus was taken to the Sanhedrin, or when that first mock trial was over, he was taken to the Sanhedrin and high priest, and again in the night tried illegally. According to their laws, no one was supposed to be tried at night. Both of these took place before sunlight. And according to Matthew and Mark, the corrupt religious leaders had even tried to bring in two false witnesses to lie about him, which of course was absurd. These hired, lawyer, or hired liars were both brought in by the very ones who wanted him dead anyway. So now, notice in, 20, in 66, it's finally daylight. So now they can have a real trial if they want, but they don't want they want to hear a confession from a badly beaten man so they can get rid of him once and for all. They don't get it. They don't get it. They've seen him heal the sick. They've, seen him, they've, they've heard him teach with unmatched authority. Just like I said last week, they know he's a threat to their comfy lives and high positions among the Jewish people. And it's just like the Bible said in John chapter 1 and verse 11. The Bible said he came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. It's like the guy I heard about. They don't get it. They just don't get it. The guy that was driving down the road when he saw a flash of a traffic camera. Have any of y'all seen those flashes before? Hey, Pastor Frank. <laughs> Pastor Frank confessed a few months ago. Your sins are forgiven. Did you pay? You paid, good, thanks. I know the Lord's gonna give me one of them tickets now for calling you out. Ah, gotta watch it. Uh, but he saw the flash, he figured his picture had been taken for, for exceeding the speed limit, but he knew he wasn't speeding. So just to be sure, he went around the block and he passed the same spot, driving even more slowly, but again, the camera flash. Now he begins to think it's pretty funny. So he drives even slower and passes a third time. It flashes and then he goes a fourth time and he begins to make faces at the camera. The fifth time, he goes at a snail's pace and he's just laughing uncontrollably because the camera just keeps flashing. Two weeks later, he got five tickets in the mail for driving without a seatbelt. <laughs> Some people just never get it. Some people keep going around in circles because they never learned. These guys kept going around and around, trial one, two, three, four, five, six, because they didn't get it. These Sanhedrin, they thought they had authority, theoretically at least, over the spiritual, political, and legal affairs of the Jews. And the council was presided over by the high priest, and it consisted actually of 71 people of a few different groups. And at times the Sanhedrin had authority to convict and even execute capital criminals. But during this period of particular Jewish history, the power to execute was solely in the hands of the Roman governor. You can read about that in John 18. 
Remember now, it's technically illegal for the Sanhedrin to convict a person of a crime during a night session. But that's when Jesus' interrogation begins. That's the preliminary meeting. That works everybody up into a frenzy. But a verdict to convict had to wait until the morning, the following morning. But these boys don't get it. If I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. You don't really want to know the answer. I could admit to you that I'm the Messiah, but you don't care about the truth. Now, let me say what I've discovered over the years when people are questioning Christ and Christianity. There are those that are genuinely seeking truth and want to know, is this for real? And with them, you want to tell them the truth and love them well and apologetically draw them to Christ and let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. But sometimes, and I might even say many times, those questioning Christ... Questioning Christians or questioning the Bible don't really want answers and don't really care about the truth. Because if they really get the answers, they know there's an authority bigger than them in their life and some things are going to have to change. And a lot of times people don't want to change and so they don't want the answers because when they get the answers, they know they got to change. Smoke screens, I've heard at least a hundred of them are better, different excuses over the years. But Jesus doesn't end with the question of whether he's the Messiah. He points to his favorite title. Look at 69. Hereafter, the Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite self-designation. The Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. That's a reference to the glorious reign of the Son of Man sitting at God's right hand, found over in Daniel's prophecy. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, sovereign power, and all peoples, nations, and men in every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And you guys know he sat down because it is an allusion to completed work, and it's from Psalm 110 that Jesus sits at the right hand of God Almighty. He shares the authority of God in heaven. And those present, see those present thought they were the judges. The Sanhedrin thought they were the judges. But in reality, the reverse is true. Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus' accusers ask what they perceive as a political question. Do you come as the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. Do you expect to overthrow the Roman oppressors and make Israel free again as in the days of David? If you're the Christ, speak up, man. But Jesus says, I'm king of a much more comprehensive kingdom. I'm I'm king of a kingdom far bigger than David. So then they tweak it, and in verse 70, they say, well, then are you the son of God? Who are you, man? By son of God, they probably mean something like Messiah or Christ. And in some translations, Jesus' answer almost seems seems ambiguous. The King James says it this way, ye say that I am. The King James adds that word rightly, you rightly say that I am. Gospel, uh, Mark's gospel, I love Mark's gospel here because he's always quick and to the point. Mark's gospel simply renders Jesus' answer as I am. Ego I me, Mark 14, 62. Basically, what we know from their response is that Jesus' answer to them was taken as a hard yes because they go bananas. They go crazy. What further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So basically, the way they're interpreting it, and remember, context is key, they are interpreting this as Jesus said, yes, I am the Son of God and the Son of Man. 
you know, for all those doubters that say, well, Jesus really didn't say he was the Messiah. Jesus really didn't say he was the Son of God. Well, don't forget what John 8, 58 says. Jesus said, verily, verily, amen, amen, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Don't forget this. Jesus not only affirmed his divine personhood, all of Jesus' contemporaries that spoke about this made bold, truthful claims. Let me walk through them with you just quickly on the screens. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said he had spoken well. Thomas said, you are my Lord and my God. John said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Apostle Paul said immediately, of the Apostle Paul, they said immediately, he, Paul, began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the Son of God. And Stephen, the first martyr, that wonderful deacon said, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. His work was complete, he was seated, but now to receive his very own, he stands as a welcoming party. So all of these people and many others affirm the divinity of Christ. Billy Sunday, the great baseball player and American evangelist, said in a sermon, there are 256 names given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose this was because he was infinitely beyond all that one name could express. I shared that little account with you that I modified. I shared with you first and last, ancient of days. I shared with you that little account, but I was just scratching the surface. Man, if I had time and energy and the breath, we could do that for the rest of today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. See, you can try to deny his power or denigrate his person, but Jesus was and is and always will be exactly who the Bible says he is. He is fully God. He is fully man. He cannot deny it. He cannot deny himself, and I will not deny it. And when they make fun of Jesus Christ, and when they use his name blasphemously and in a derogatory sense, they are making fun of God himself. And you cannot make fun of God himself and get away with it. There's going to be a price to pay. And one day we will stand before the judge. Oh, they thought they held the power. But Jesus had more power in his pinky nail than all those boys put together. The power of the Messiah was mocked as Jesus was beaten. The person of the Messiah was mocked as Jesus was questioned. I'm going to close with this. It was almost one o'clock in the morning when the phone rang in the Winter's home. Dr. Leon Winter, the highly acclaimed Chicago surgeon, was awakened as he had been many times before. That particular night, it was a young boy, they said, tragically mangled in a late night accident. Oh, couldn't someone else handle it? Well, not this time. This time, his hands were possibly the only ones in the city or maybe that whole region skilled enough to save. The quickest route to the hospital happened to be through a rather rough area of Chicagoland, but with time being a critical factor, it was worth the risk. He almost made it through the worst of the neighborhoods, almost. And then at a stoplight, his door was jerked open by a man in a, in a gray hat and a dingy flannel shirt. And he said, I've gotta have your car. And began to pull Dr. Winter out of his seat and Dr. Winters tried explaining the gravity of the situation, but the man wasn't listening, and he pushed the great surgeon away, and he sped away in his car. Long before the era of the cell phone, Dr. Winters wandered for 45 minutes looking for a phone. After finding one and finally catching a taxi in that rough part of town, he made it to the hospital, but over an hour had passed. 
He burst through the doors and into the nurse's station, but the nurse on duty only shook her head. It's too late. The boy had died about 30 minutes earlier. His dad had gotten here just before he died. The nurse told him he's in the chapel. Could you please go in and see him? He's really confused. He just couldn't understand why you never came after getting the call. Without explaining all he had just been through, Dr. Winters walked quickly down the hall and quietly entered the chapel. And at the front knelt the huddled form of a weeping father in a gray hat and a dingy flannel shirt. Tragically, he had pushed away the only one who could save. And I wonder today how many are pushing away the only one who can save. Now, of course, a father would say, I've got to be there. Whatever it takes, I've got to be there for my boy. But you know, people are trying to do the saving themselves with their own spiritual life too. I can do this. I can save him. I can save my family. I can save my marriage. I can save my job. You can't save yourself. What makes you think you have the power to do anything good and lasting in this life? As Jeff and Melissa come to join me for this wonderful hymn of invitation, I want to remind you that you can't save your loved ones today. Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God is the only way. Some try so hard to protect their own way of life, they refuse to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They don't want to stop and listen to reason or understand reality. As Dr. Winters was begging that father you don't understand. Let me go. I can save him. All the father could hear was, I've got to get there. I've got to be there. Some of you have been praying for children for a very long time. Mom and dad, keep praying, but you can't save. That's the role of Jesus. Some of you have been praying for a spouse for a long time. The Bible is very clear about this, that without a word, they can be one. Show them Jesus. Keep praying. But remember, he alone can save. Some of you have had people on your heart and mind for a very long time. Let me tell you, next week, more people are open to attending a religious service at Easter than any other day of the year. Did you know that? There's proof over and over and over. Even those who have nothing to do with church or God, more people are open, open to attending a religious service. Why don't you reach out to someone? Why don't you encourage them to come and be with you? I promise if you'll get them here. I promise if you'll have them. I'll do the very best I can to make it clear that they've got to decide. That they have got to receive or they will continue to reject the Savior. I promise you, Jesus is still in the saving business. Let us never deny the power or the person of Christ. Because if you try to push him away, there will come a day when one day you will discover you were actually mocking the Messiah. Stand with me this morning. Now I'm going to ask you to do something today. If there's somebody that you know needs the Lord... Somebody that you know that needs a church home. Somebody that you know 
friend, family member, coworker, neighbor, anybody that really needs Jesus and they are on your heart, I'm going to ask you to move from your seat and I'm going to ask you to come lay them before the Lord. I'm going to ask you to ask God to give you the power and the wisdom to encourage them. You say they don't even live around here. Then encourage them to be somewhere. If they're not willing to get up and go, at least to tune in. But you're going to pray for them like you've never prayed for them before. You said, oh, no, I've prayed for them a thousand times. Then let's make it a thousand and one and trust that Jesus will do what only Jesus can do. I'm going to ask you to have an evangelistic prayer this morning, a prayer of evangelism. God save souls. See, some people are skeptical. Some people would say, well, last night you had a funeral. You shared Jesus at a funeral and people got saved? Yes, because God's still bringing life out of death. Yes, people got saved because the word will never go forth and return void. It'll accomplish that for which it is sent. So you say, you really believe people are gonna come here next week and people are gonna get saved. Man, not only do I believe they get saved next week, I believe you can get saved right now. I believe you can trust Jesus today. You don't have to wait till next week and you may not get next week. But would you join me as a people of prayer saying, oh God, fill this house. Fill it to overflowing three times next weekend. Fill it up, make them want Jesus as much as they wanted free eggs and cheese crackers. Make them want Jesus as much as they want that and even more. Would you pray evangelistically? And if you need to trust Christ today, I will be here with my beautiful bride, with pastors, with counselors. We will be ready to receive you. If you need to lay something or someone at the feet of Jesus, those of you that know him and would be willing, lift up Pastor Michael. Let's see if God can get him here this week or maybe next week and have him back in the house of the Lord. He so desperately wants to be here. When I say amen, even before I say amen, you can start to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. There are gonna be a lot of names lifted before you, a lot of families, a lot of people coming to pray for loved ones that need Jesus. I pray that we'll put feet to our prayers this week, invite them, pick them up, get them, get them to the house of the Lord, get them before the word of the Lord so that the spirit of the Lord can do what only he can do. We don't wanna mock you. We wanna know that you're our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, and you're still in the saving business. Bless this time as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.